Riker's Beard Personal Log 42437.5. I sense there is another beard on the Enterprise. There can only be one. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So, call a stranger grandpa and let's re-engage. Welcome once again to re-engage. My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host this week. We are so excited to have you back or here for the first time. What a strange episode to join in. Welcome. <laughs> uh, with me as always, I have our cultural bridge officers starting with uh, Greg Tito. Hello, Greg. Hi, Kate. How are you? I I'm am good. excited to talk <laughs> about this weirdo episode and I'm just really happy. I'm going with this theory that Ira Glass was named after Ira Graves. Ah, we'll delve into that a little bit later. Uh, Eric Gratton, you you look skeptical as to that assertion. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I love uh, <laughs> nom de plumes of famous folks. I mean, we all know that Michael Keaton changed his name from Michael Douglas for very good reason. I'm excited to talk about this episode. And I'm excited to say hello to Jimmy G. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Hey, girl. Hey. I want to say uh, I want to say hello to all of our fans in Italy who have brought us to number sixteen all time on the TV reviews list on Apple Podcasts. So we are hot in Italy. All of our Italian friends, if you have any kind of villa you want to put us up in, and you can be on the podcast yourself, just hit us up right here at Reengage, and we'll be happy to come over and spend some time with you. Uh, see <laughs> that's all the so, italian i know <laughs> so here we are with the episode the schizoid man uh star date 42437.5 an air date of january 23rd 1989 greg what was happening in the world there was uh, a lot of happenings, but I'm going to just go with some pretty basics. George H.W. Bush was inaugurated as the 41st president on January 20th. Dan Quayle was the 44th vice president. How could you forget Dan was Quayle? Was he, though? <laughs> <laughs> it was all a big facade. I, oh, I love... love was that Eric? I love that movie. <laughs> My fellow Americans, right? Yeah, it's so good. It, not many people know it, but James Garner and the immortal John Hurd with that line. Sorry, go ahead. It's so good, the facade. Um, and then uh, January twenty second, the day before this aired, was Super Bowl twenty three. San Francisco 49ers beat Cincinnati Bagels twenty to sixteen. Jerry Rice, wide receiver, was the MVP. And that was during the Montana Rice era where it just felt like uh, that was a go-to, especially in Tecmo Super Bowl, in which I made sure to rack up like 4,000 yards with, uh, with that combo. Combo. As a combo, if you could also get Christian Okoye in there, unstoppable. Oh, the Chiefs. <laughs> and that was what was happening in the world? That's it. That's what I got. I love it. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Nothing else. Nothing. End of history. <laughs> you got more G and things coming in other uh, other episodes. Well, in the world of pop culture, uh, because of the little break that uh, Star Trek took, we just missed my prerogative by Bobby Brown. But Oof. I just wanted to give it a shout out mm -hmm. uh, that we just missed it at number one, and now we are with two hearts. By Phil Collins. Two hearts believing in just one mind beating together till the end of time. I did not know those were the words. I thought it was two hearts living in just one mind, but it's two hearts believing in just one mind. Mm. And my whole world is, is broken open by that. I do not like correct lyrics. <laughs> no, no. My buddy uh, sent me a Phil Collins concert from like 1990 like this era and it was one of the most banging like it was full energy and i loved every two hearts was one of the songs on there and man put on a good show he has that screaming tenor thing down it sounds 
just easy as hell coming from him, and it is in the stratosphere. It doesn't sound as high as it is. I am I'm an unabashed Phil Collins fan. Love him. It's required of the generation. <laughs> uh, now I'm remembering that, that weird, uh, this was maybe a Genesis uh, video, and it was a political video with all of those weird yep. uh, puppets. Land of Confusion. Land of Confusion. Land of Confusion. The puppets and now, were from yes, that British TV that show. That British TV show, yeah, yeah. That shot and, with, the, with the tongue, hot dog bun, ketchup, mustard, right, eat the yes. tongue. Yes! Still haunts my dreams. Yes, that video damaged me in multiple <laughs> ways. <laughs> well, spitting image, the the TV show it was that, that they used the the puppets from was on. I, I I got to live there when I was nine over in England for a little while, and oh, that wow. was, it was on. So like, I they had American they had puppets of the president of the United States. I'm like, I know who that is, nine year old me. So I, I always somehow really loved those. Mm. Uh, at the movies, Rain Man continued to be number one, but that weekend, one of my favorite movies, Heathers, was released. Wow. Ooh, yes. Uh, a movie I was not allowed to see uh, when it was released, <laughs> but I definitely uh, caught wind of that uh, later in my high school I years. love my dead gay son. <laughs> that movie, I, I have not, I don't know how that movie holds up, to be honest. I haven't seen it, it and up. it's probably good. I just watched it maybe two weeks ago. Nice. I know that the musical version of it now is huge with all of my high schoolers, and I would never do it with any of them because it's uh, <laughs> dirty as fuck. Uh, a, and uh, I can say that, but they can't. They can't say that. I no, love no. the music in that. There's this a real uh, uh, TikTok that has the speech uh, about Martha Dumptruck uh, in it, and it is odd because uh, Jimmy's daughter will sometimes just recite that entire monologue uh and i'm like what why are you saying that right now i don't know it's in the zeitgeist for the young kids and they don't even know why no they don't know why they don't know why it's straight from tiktok and they have no understanding that it comes from somewhere else we're old uh (laughs) speaking of super bowl 23 i just wanted to pay homage to the halftime show which was in 3D, and it was called Bebop Bamboozled in 3D, and featured a oh. character named Elvis Presto, but ironically, there were no Elvis Presley songs in the <laughs> halftime show. I do um, not but remember they had, that. But they had 3D-generated images, and, uh, and we all got our 3D uh, glasses from local retailers and got to watch that. You remember that, Eric? No, I remember the game. But I do not remember that halftime show. I it's one of the first Super Bowls that I remember because I I remember thinking it was cool to have because <laughs> I guess I've been in theater forever. Those two uniforms against each other they were similar enough that it was an interesting freaking thing. And Joe Montana and Jerry Rice had certainly gotten into my head by now. Uh, not you were going to say costumes, weren't you? Yes. Um, the so, two costumes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was close to saying costumes. Aren't we all? <laughs> But I don't remember this. I'm going to go right to YouTube for this halftime show. Right? It sounds amazing. Um, on Broadway, Black Say it, and Jimmy. Nine. I see that face. Say it. What you going to say? Oh, nothing. I, <laughs> I didn't see it. The Super Bowl came on at like 3 in the morning when I was in Germany. So, like, I didn't see the those Super Bowls until uh, – many Super Bowls until uh, college, actually. So, I wasn't thinking of anything else. <laughs> On Broadway, Black and Blue opened at the Minskoff Theater for 829 performances, which is, uh, I had to look it up. It was a musical review celebrating the black culture of dance and music in Paris between World War I and World War II, and included songs from Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Fats Waller, etc. And so that opened. uh, And in a closing, um, a, a death. Ted Bundy put to death on January 24th. Uh, and we, well, those of us who live up here in the Northwest, which is all of us currently, um, have, certainly have a little connection to t- Ted Bundy. But I, I do remember that um, death in particular. Because I yeah, think I, was, I feel like everybody up here knows somebody who knows somebody who was connected in some way to Ted Bundy. 
Like it's it's become that kind of. <laughs> He's the Kevin Bacon of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> it feels like that, you know. That everybody wants to be connected to tragedy of that magnitude. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like a fascination. And that was the world of pop culture. Uh, in the world of our show, uh, we have a story by Richard Manning and Heinz Beimler, or Bim Bimler, um, teleplay by Tracy Torme, directed by Les Landau. And uh, Jimmy, there was lots of uh, interesting stories behind the scenes on this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you take us there? Uh, well, first of all, the story, uh, one of the concepts that was pitched was Core Dump. Uh, and that was about the data being uh, taken over. And during the rewrites, um, a story that Tracy Torme had actually developed was uh, it was intermingled with a Tracy Torme, but the Tracy Torme A plot, uh, and the, 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 the script was called Menage, and it's exactly what you're thinking. Um, it is, the story centered around a woman comes onto the ship who was uh, in a triangular love affair with two guys from Omicron Theta, which if you remember from Data Lore, is a planet where Data is from, and all of whose, uh, whose is that right? He has all of their memories dumped into his uh, memory banks. So the, the, the um, inciting incident was when he came uh, close to her, these two memories bubbled up and then uh, took him over and were fighting uh, in his mind to you know be the dominant one because the passion between the three of them was was so strong <laughs> wow um that was thrown i want to see that uh so i mean that was the driving thing um a cutesy thing was you know at the very beginning we see we'll talk about the beard um that was only one device that was originally in the script they had also shot one where he is bald because he was emulating Picard, that didn't make it into the the final production. Um, and I, the one other interesting thing, and I went over this, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I believe Larry Nemesic has an error, a pretty big error, in his uh, Star Trek book because he has uh, a paragraph that starts off with, um, who is it? Yeah, Susie Plaxkin, who plays uh, Doctor Salar as the first female Vulcan officer ever heard on Trek. That's a, that's a verbatim quote from his book. I read that many times. I don't know if I'm misreading it, but that is about nine years wrong because in, what was it, 1982? Um, we had, uh, we had uh, Savick in Wrath of Khan, played by Christy Alley, and she's a Vulcan, she's an officer, and she certainly speaks. Uh, so this is nowhere near the first uh, female Vulcan officer we hear speak. Uh, and it's just a couple of years later, probably like filmed at the same time as this actually, is when Kim Cattrall was doing um, uh, Lieutenant Valeris for Undiscovered Country. So I think a big mistake by Larry there. Um, although... Larry. Yeah. And Eric will get into Plaxin. Um what she's done yes i will so i'll let him take that but that's all i got those three little nuggets was there anything else no no from? i just love the story uh, the way tracy fit his story into that you know other story because in the original uh episode that they pitched um the they knew that data was going to be downloaded with this other personality that so it was like right. part of so he just came in and was like but i liked the thing that i wrote yoink right <laughs> sort of ins <laughs> inserted it into and solaris was supposed to be warp's love interest oh and torme was really pushing for that uh and it it didn't come about and, and it had a lot to do with what happens with what Eric will bring up. Ah, exciting, mm. exciting. Well, speaking of which, I, I don't want to wait another second. Eric, tell us. Let's talk about Susie Blackson some more. <laughs> As Jimmy implies, there was some talk about having this character be the uh, first love interest for uh, Lieutenant Worf. However, they came up with a very novel solution to continue going the direction they were going. Uh, it was Susie Plaxon that made them think, well, she's great. We have to find a way to get her kind of involved in more than this 
this little plot where she's a little bit wasted. So instead, they kept this plot with uh, the Doctor character, and later this season, we will meet her again as Kalar, uh, who eventually is the mother of Worf's son, Alexander, and a badass character in her own right on this show. Uh, she has a crazy Star Trek uh, yeah. She's been in she's been four characters. She's the Vulcan here. Uh, and if you want to read more of the history of this character, she, she appears in the novels again, and it's bonkers what they put her through. <laughs> Already, by this point, uh, this character has been through some shit. And then uh, later on, she goes through some more stuff. It's very cool. Uh, but she played a Klingon later in this season. Then she plays a Q on Voyager, if you go back and watch that, which is awesome. She's, you know, one of the main cast members of Dinosaurs. She's Marshall's mom on How I Met Your Mother. She's uh, in Beauty and the Beast. She's a genre superstar. Incredible. Susie Plaxon. Um, so that's our first guest star that we're talking about here. Terrific on this show. Do you, do you guys have anything else to say about her? I mean, we'll talk about her when we get into her performance. Right. I think she and she was also her. on uh, uh, Enterprise, an episode of Enterprise. So Tell me. She's been on... Um, like most of the main ones, right? Yeah, I don't remember who she played on Enterprise. I never saw it. I only watched a few episodes of Enterprise. Uh, but, but we have several people like that here. The yeah. next person we're going to talk about is, of course, Graves, uh, who is W. Morgan Shepard, legend. He understudied and performed the character of Dasad and Marat Saad on Broadway in the original cast. Also a supporting gig in the crazy popular Sherlock Holmes Broadway production that had John Wood and was famous for closing with Leonard Nimoy in the role of uh, Sherlock Holmes on Broadway. Uh, and then a lot of people will know him as uh, Blank Reg and Max Headroom. Mm. Uh, more or less read, uh, led directly to this. Um, he was a, a member of the RSC for like 20 years. He, after this, um, worked on uh, Star Trek VI kind of uh, right after this as the one-eyed Klingon prison commandant. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He plays uh, Katai in Voyage, the uh, Captain Ahab kind of guy who uh, is going after that huge space monster that makes them all see illusions and think they're going through the wormhole, but instead they're swallowed by this uh, monster yeah. that has already followed this other ship. That's him. Uh, and uh, he is um, in a couple of the Star Trek. What do you call it? Um, uh, video games as well. In addition, his his son is Mark Shepard, if you know him, who is, of course, um, uh, Firefly. He is uh, Badger. And on Supernatural, Crowley. He's in all kinds so of... Who's Badger on stuff. Firefly? I'm not placing it. He's the, uh, the Cockney... Con man that they meet several times throughout the series. Oh, I can't place him. He's like in the pilot, and he, you know, he talks like this. He says, you know, you need to. Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> now I'm going to go back and, and check it out. He's terrific on it as, as Badger. Um, so anyway, uh, Mark Shepard, incredible video games, everything from Civilization Five. He's the main voice on that. He's uh, escaped from Monkey Island. Like, uh, he and his son were uh, two of the only actors who were in Doctor Who and Star Trek. Oh, wow. He was in, I think, the original series, season six, like that far back. Um, really just an incredible run. Uh, and then our final guest star, uh, by no means least, uh, playing Kareen Briannon is Barbara Allen Woods, who also had really a fantastic career. Guest stars in the biggest shows kind of every year. Uh, from here on, this was only her second one. And then all through the 90s, kind of everything you've heard of, one thing at a time, until she booked one of the leads in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, TV series, which she was on for three years. Uh, and then more interesting kind of leads in small indies and some exploitation flicks. And then finally, she was the lead in One Tree Hill for that entire run. Uh, and then that has been her biggest hit so far. Of course, she also has three uh, movie and TV star daughters uh, who are all working in lead roles on Netflix TV shows and, and movies, and they're all really terrific. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a family dynasty, and I think she's terrific in this one, too. 
back to you, Kate. Ooh. Well, I am excited to talk about each of these uh, fantastically talented folks uh, as we discuss the episode proper. We start off with uh, the rare medical log. We start with Pulaski letting us know that we are off to help a brilliant recluse. Uh, and we find out very quickly that he is priority one to Starfleet. Uh, so we are going to drop everything else that we're doing. We're going to go rescue uh, this person. Um, but first, Jordan, some levity. But first, some levity with Jordy, <laughs> Jordy and Troy walking and talking. Jordy thinking that maybe uh, Data is starting to get insecure. I love that idea. Uh, and in they go to find Data with a full-on Riker beard. So good. And it's just, it's glorious. It's uh, a sight gag that I, I happened to be just be watching it a couple of minutes ago with Edna. And she was glanced over and just outburst laughing as loud as she <laughs> ever does. Uh, just at the look of him in that beard. It really is beautiful. Like, they... they they do his style, even maybe even a little more glorious and full. Uh, like, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and we get that wonderful line, when I stroke the beard thusly, do I not appear more intellectual? <laughs> oh, that's so good! It's so it's, good. It's that line that, that really hits home to me, that he's one of these great square peg performances, like the Coneheads or Third Rock. Like he's an alien in a in a place trying to figure out humans as much as he is a machine, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just the uncool nerd alien among other people. It's great. I like that Troy has to deuce out because she's laughing so hard. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> it's just a nice little. little and then gift. that gives that gives Data the best line I think of the whole thing, where he's like, "Why was she laughing?" <laughs> and it just <laughs> it's the perfect button because his face plays it so straight. It's amazing. So they uh, receive another transmission from the planet, but they do not seem to be being received when they try to uh, answer back. Um, but they uh, pick up yet another transmission, not from the planet they're headed towards, and they have a full-on trolley moment where they have to do a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Uh, and, uh, and what are they going to do? Save one man or an entire ship? They're going to do a risky maneuver. They're going to do a risky maneuver. Oh, yeah. They decide to do a yeah. warp drop and run, which is what I called oh, it. Uh, but then I realized it's called a near warp transport, which is basically, I think, just a, a, a tuck and roll. It's a stop, drop, and roll. And there it is. There it is. You let it go. <laughs> it did seem that difficult the way they described it. Isn't it just like... I mean, I, I feel like I do a near warp you transport any time I drop my kids off anywhere. It's just like a stop, <laughs> get out. All right, we're going. They I mean, also fairness. land in the, the wall. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> they land in the wall. For a That's moment, you were. Upsetting. <laughs> They're fine. Um, we meet uh, Solar uh, for the first time since Pulaski is going to go and save the ship. Um, so down to the surface they go. Uh, and I believe in my research, this is one of the first times uh, an, uh, an away team is comprised of uh, not a single full human uh, because we have um, uh, Troy along, but of course she's half Betazoid uh, and everyone else. We've got uh, Data and Solar and uh, someone else goes. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> Worf. But Worf is just, there too. And Worf. That's just one of those tiny little bits of information uh, that will do no one any good in the long run. But I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I, it's a weird setup. I do say it is a very awkward setup for Pulaski just to not be on this trip. Like, and also for them to be alone, right? And it's 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 not because they don't delve into the the philosophy that much. They're just like, oh yeah, okay. Well, I guess we have to do that. And then it's 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 just there. And it felt very, um, like just inserted. Or, mm. or contractual. Yeah, right. Like, we have to get Solar some screen time, so let's do it this way. Or we have to get Pulaski a, a X amount of screen <laughs> right. time, uh, but we don't want, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just get her doing the voiceover at the beginning, and then we'll send her off somewhere else. Right, right. I also wonder, too, if they if it needed, I mean, Pulaski uh, with um, oh. our Graves would have been no. a very different uh, no, confrontation. You. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh, I oh. just threw up in my mouth a little bit because that is just that's just cantankerous uh, to the max. Uh, because yes, you're you're right. They go down to the surface and they find a crotchety old man with anger management issues who seems to hate doctors and women and people. <laughs> and himself. And himself. Like he makes quite the entrance in into that world. Yeah, that metal wall was paper thin. Because <laughs> yes. it opens up, he just walks right into the conversation like he was standing there the whole time. But wasn't he? I figure he's listening one way or another, wall or intercom. They have the technology these That's days. That's very yes, <laughs> very practical. What do we What do we think of this first introduction to him, where he says something to the uh, not to the effect he exactly says, "Women aren't people; they're women." Huh. Huh. I love him. He's, a great He's terrible from the get-go. His, uh, uh, I love that the list of symptoms uh, that he's experiencing is irritability is one of them. Uh, it seems like this dude was always like that. Uh, and he's got a very tight temper. And he, you know, as soon as that's mentioned, he screams, ridiculous! And I just thought that was a very <laughs> good choice to be like, oh, yeah, no, he does have a temper. This guy's a dick. Uh, and then he doubles down on all of that with the misogyny and the... I don't know. I just never understand people who don't like doctors too. It's like, you know, doctors are people. They really are. And he goes on and he insults Worf. He goes for data. Like he's got, he's got it out yeah, for I'm, all of them. I'm ready for him to die. What about you guys? <laughs> quickly. They, they prepared me very quickly to be ready for this guy to die. As soon as they say Graves world, I said, this guy's a dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. He's got his own Oh, the naming. And also the, that immediately he names himself Data's grandfather. How presumptuous. How dare you, sir. While insulting Wait, you, Data's you, creator. You too. have a father? Well, I was smarter than him, so call me grandfather. Yes. That seems fair. Uh, so we find out that he has Darnay's disease. Uh, it's terminal and in its final stages. Um, and so... Uh, they're fixing shit up, uh, and he's in, alone with uh, Data, and he whis whistles a little of the song "If I Only Had a Heart" from uh, the Wizard of Oz. Um, what do we think of this um, allegory of the Wizard of Oz? Uh, this sort of through line of "If I Only." I, I think it's interesting that he picks "If I Only Had a Heart," because there are many. You know, there's also "If I Only Had a Brain," uh, "If I Only Had Some." Smarts. I mean, I assume I it's. You know, the metaphor for Data being the Tin Man, right? Yes. Yeah, which is a nice thing that I really can't believe no one has brought up to him on, on screen yet. It's, it's a pretty uh, obvious metaphor for any robot, right? But it's, it, it's a nice little moment, I think. It's foreboding. Yeah. Grandfather tells him he will never truly be human because he can never feel pain. And then he just kind of he just kind of sticks it to Data. He's really good at going after someone when they're kicking them while they're down. Uh, Got all the qualities of that like authoritative auteur, you know. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, stories about David O. Russell over the last few months, but I've seen some videos of a you know a director just like screaming at stars. Ugh. And I feel like, like that for twenty years. Like the videos that came out of I Heart Huckabee's showed him to be that yeah. Very it's heartbreaking, and and I feel like that's what this uh, this character would do. Like that's his mm. whole shtick is I'm gonna cut you down, I'm gonna neg you until you you know need a, a cantankerous asshole like me to give you any warmth. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 disgusting to look at. And you know what's weird? We'll talk more about this if we can. But it's like a very different viewing uh, when I was a child watching this to now. I'll tell you that. Mm. We, uh, we cut briefly to Troy, uh, once again, just dropping some knowledge. Uh, again, Troy can just sort of ruin anybody's party or anyone's day by saying, you know who's thinking of you sexually? Because uh, <laughs> she just flat out says to Corrine, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's into you and, and, and not, not in a, just a grandpa way. He's not your grandfather, as it twer. Uh and uh, I just thought that was gross immediately. I just said gross. 
<laughs> what what was Troy trying to get out of that too? That's that's the, the other odd part of that. It's like it seems like a very personal detail to just throw out there without any reason. Right, right. Like I don't know how that helps her to have that knowledge, especially now that he's done. Maybe it's like, hey, if you ever thought you wanted to fuck him before he died, now's your chance. <laughs> The door's open. You just got to no, get data out of there. Limited time offer. <laughs> it was the uh, foreshadowing, though, right? They were planting the seed for us that he's he's a jealous type. Like, yes. There's something more. Yes, yes. Uh, we go back and see Data and, and Grandpa, um, where they have a talk where Data just casually drops the knowledge, by the way, I can get turned off. Um, and... And I think, Greg, you have brought up in the past, um, or or perhaps it's Eric, or it, it could be Jimmy. There are three of you. Uh, <laughs> that Data is not the best um, officer because he's too trusting. Like, you send him into these situations and he just gives the information that he needs to this right. but, crazy But this one person. is contradictory to Data because in season one, when he tells Crusher about it, he says, please don't you can understand this is information I don't want shared with people. So Right, but this is his grandpa. This is his grandpa, so of course he would trust him. He's done nothing but show how how welcoming he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, these scenes are touching for me because it's the continuation of uh the you know, his talking to Joe Piscopo and and trying to learn about humor. Like I think these are very well placed in that way where it feels like um, that's really still in our minds when he's talking to this. And that's why he probably latches on to this character mm -hmm. more so than others. If you think of it as a chronological, hey, this just happened last week is because he's he's failing so much uh, at, at being a human. And here's this person giving him some uh, some some well needed guidance that only perhaps, you know, in Graves's mind that he can give to uh, to Dana. Mm -hmm. It was I mean, that. This right here, when this when he drops that though, it was all a bit much for me because as soon as he says it, the music comes on, the mm -hmm. mood changes, and it's one of those things like a lot of early Jim Carrey movies where he just did whatever he wanted, and the other actor had to pretend like they didn't see his crazy choices. Um, the director, whoever the writer, made it so that Data should have seen the maniacal look and the obvious danger he was in. Because everything about the way the scene was presented to us made it obvious that right. he was exactly what he was going to do. So I just wish they would have made that more of a surprise. Well, it also ruins it as a surprise for us, right? Like, mm. we know that secret well in advance where it could have been a, a, a twist where we finally, you know, we don't see it until we hear him whistling, if I only had a heart leap, right? right? Like, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think they could have, you know, had a moment where, in addition to the Wizard of Oz stuff, they could have had a nice little Red Riding Hood moment where when he's looking at him like that, he could have said, why are you looking at me like that, Grandpa? <laughs> 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 or what big eyes you have, Grandpa. Yeah. I'll go forward from there. There it is. We got it. <laughs> we got it. Uh, Data comes out, uh, informs everyone that Ira Graves is dead, uh, comes out, of, he's sort of in shadow as he comes out to inform them this, them of this. Um, and uh, the next thing we know, everyone's quizzing Data on why he didn't call for help. He says all things must pass, uh, but then is very uh, concerned that they honor Ira's dying wish. Uh, what do we think of this first sort of uh, little, little, little hints? And again, they've sort of ruined this for us right. by having such a an obvious tell early on, but this is our first little like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on with data? <laughs> uh, well, like you said, it, it was already ruined. So for me, every scene thereafter, it was just, it was like, when are they going to catch up? I hope they catch up because I'm, I'm getting a little antsy or bored with it. Like I, yeah. I just wanted them to get there. But having said that, I mean, it wasn't like Brent Spiner did, he crushed it. <laughs> he yeah. crushed every scene. It was just, the the way they wrote it like we already know so hurry up and get to your point because you blew your wad already <laughs> uh Dana, yeah i mean as long okay. as we don't need it to be a surprise it's great 
Um, there, there are, you know, there's a long tradition of soap operas and melodramas, which this qualifies as, is it, at tipping its hand well before uh, we might want it to, if it's, you know, a, a, a mystery playing on the up and up with us. Um, and I agree, I'd, I'd have preferred that, but clearly they didn't want to do that. <laughs> there might, it feels like the joke of this episode is that we all, everybody's in on it. Like everyone knows that Spiner is trying to play two, two different people and it's a little bit just like watching the drama of the other characters figuring it out because and how fun that can be if you're cheering on like ah oh, that was it he's just said it ah like <laughs> I, I feel like that's the fun of it yeah and i, I think that. like jimmy said it was i i have a couple notes here that i thought it was really interesting that the actors were pushed into a place where they had to find a way to dismiss what they can clearly see data doing right so what it turns out to be is is a way if i want to accept that framing that they're giving me, whether it's on purpose or not, what it shows me then are a bunch of his friends showing their microaggressions, like allowing their expectations of data to not be as uh, rigid as the expectations they might have for other people. So a, a severe change in personality, they brush off as just going, oh, he's an android. Of course he's going to say some loopy shit. Uh, even when it's obvious to us, you know, so that's where I go with it. It's, it's an interesting commentary on what his co-workers and friends will allow this interloping ghost character to get away with because they don't expect much from Data. Mm. Including this first sort of instance uh, with Corrine, right, where he's speaking for Ira. Uh, and it's very clear what is happening, um, but she remains, you know, blinded by grief, we'll say. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and just can't see it. Um, but uh, all I could think of that scene was um, gross. Uh, Brent Spiner <laughs> did a great job of being gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as I said, Data was very concerned that they honor Ira's dying wish. Uh, and then I wrote, apparently his dying wish was to be dressed like one of the knights of the round table and put in a giant pill capsule. Agreed. I'm glad he went with the classic space glitter death guard. It's the only way to go when you die in space. Yeah. Cosmonaut looking mother effer. Ugh. Data gives a man for all seasons speech to end uh, all, uh, including my favorite line, those who knew him loved him, while those who did not love him or know him loved him from afar. Oh, so <laughs> fucking good. It's so so good. fucking good. And know I don't him know was to love him. I don't know why love Wesley him. was there, but I'm for it. Because <laughs> he's so amused by the speech. <laughs> and the way that uh, Picard cuts him off. You're done now. You're done. No, you're done now. <laughs> it's a Huck Finn some... reference, too. That's why I also, like, there's a couple of really good literature references in here. We talked about The Wizard of Oz and and, uh, and that. But, like, man, this feels just like the setup to every, uh, you know, watching your own funeral uh, type of thing. Like, what would you do at your own funeral? And we're like, well, I would give a bombastic speech. And here you go. This is it. <laughs> Uh, after that, Data gets a very mild dressing down from Picard, who basically says, buddy, you're trying too hard. I know you're trying to be human, but maybe just be yourself, buddy. Come on, kiddo. Um, and and Data, you know, uh, Data at this point is is very, uh, you know, contrite and, and apologetic. And I'll, yes, I'll be on my way. And then as soon as he leaves that room, uh, we have he gets all creepy and leery at that lady who walks by and starts whistling if I only had a heart. And now even the people who weren't paying any attention probably know what's going on, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> that was a boo hiss moment. That was like a boo, you're being bad looking at butts. <laughs> <laughs> but watcher. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, we have another walk and talk. Picard and Troy worrying about Data this time, wondering if Data was affected by Graves' death and if the grandfather analogy just fucked him up or something. Um, but we cut then to Wesley giving Data shit about the line, to know him is to love him is to know him. And that line has stuck with me all of these many, many, many years. Uh, probably because Wesley says it, uh, but it's definitely stayed with me all these many years. 
it feels like a teenage kid ribbing, right? Like you're like, come right. on, Data. So no, he was the love of that. You know, and the excitement is there. You don't really get to see Wesley being a kid very often. Mm-mm. I thought it was very Pacific Northwest passive aggressive. Because mm-hmm. I didn't see mm-hmm. it as him being very direct with his ribbing. It was because he says, what a great speech, Data. That line. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's classic Pacific Northwest passive aggressive. I don't know what's a to long look at. silence. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that, Jimmy. That's a really good story. It's good to see you, Jimmy. Uh, Bless your heart. Uh, then Data slash Graves uh, starts telling Wesley he has a child mind and starts going all young man on him. Uh, he starts to list all the things that he is: a lover, a genius. Uh, and Picard, or not Picard, uh, Riker and Wesley are just living for this conversation, this or this diatribe that he's on, so should we say. Uh, but in walks Corinne, or Corinne and Picard. Mm. Uh, Picard says, I know that you're interested in space. And uh, Data Graves says, and everyone knows you're interested in her. Ooh, yet another <laughs> Northwest just slipping it in there. Just, yeah. Uh, but I love that moment when he, when he speaks under his breath and they, and they catch that. <laughs> yeah, the whole bridge. Like, the whole bridge. Check your whispering protocols because that was pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't figured out the equalizer yet. Uh, and I love that the thing he says when, when Wesley's like, dude, what's wrong? And it reminds me of Molly Ringwald in, um, uh, oh no, now I'm forgetting the name Kate, of my favorite. Kate, I wish they would have wrote the line, dude, what's wrong? <laughs> With Wesley Crusher saying that, dude, what's wrong, man? Old Bill and Ted's. Are you talking Sixteen Candles? No, no, no. Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. When 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 Bender is getting like all of the all of the uh, detentions, and she looks at him and says, "Stop! Don't!" <laughs> Wesley absolutely has this like, "What are you doing? Stop! You're gonna get in trouble, dude." <laughs> I would cry if Data spoke to me that way. You would cry. If I were Wesley and David turned to me and said, your childlike mind didn't to grasp, I'd be like, well, <laughs> I'd be a fucking puddle. Yeah, that might be the meanest thing Data ever says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that when Graves finally goes off, it's he goes off about hypocrisy, which is just such an old white man thing to do. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not going my way. This is hypocrisy. Uh, and says basically, Picard, you're you're barking up the wrong tree. She doesn't like older men. And then he looks at Riker or men with low intelligence. And somehow through all of this, as he's freaking out and then he runs away, Troy senses jealousy. I, I don't know how she does it, frankly. <laughs> She's got a gift, Kate. <laughs> it is a gift. I wasn't really picking up on that. I thought it was uh, rage, perhaps. I don't know. All normal emotions for an android to be exhibiting. Right. <laughs> uh, I like Picard tries to talk to him, and Data is like, cool, or Graves is like, Are you cool, you're going to apologize to me? <laughs> that was the writers is having fun. They're like, Let's, yes. we're at a nine. We need to get to yeah. a ten with the dick quota. They have him, uh, they do have a little Easter egg. He says, I'm as healthy as a regalian ox, which is something that he said in his human form. Uh, but Picard wasn't there when he said that, so that's a missed uh, sort of connection. Um, but uh, I, I like these, like, oh, you know what? I, no one has to do any, you know, sort of maintenance on me. I can, I can self-diagnose and just sort of closes his eyes and is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Just as I predicted, everything's cool, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good metaphor for the justice system in a lot of ways. I'm in. Oh, oh, yes. Topical. Too real. Uh, 
I wrote, I wrote, he is insubordinate to the max. I mean, he's getting. <laughs> what are you like, What are you trying to use eighties terms? I think, <laughs> to I the max. I, inspi- I think I was insubordinate with the, a spoon. The three D Super Bowl halftime show really <laughs> infected me during this episode. While you were eating three D Doritos. Nice. Um. So. So they do have Jordy run a diagnostic, but he can't find anything wrong. Yeah, but a nice little uh, CGI moment or whatever it was again with yeah. the, the little blue circle that moves up and down. That was fun. Well, and, he's and, rolling his yeah. eyes. Right. Staying so still. Powerfully. Staying still, Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's necessary. Uh, then Troy has an idea. Uh, and she hooks him up to sensors uh, and shows him a lot of pictures. Mm. Um, and interestingly, uh, or very smartly, uh, there's pictures of Corrine and Graves, but also of Remick and Tasha. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. This is our first remembrance of Tasha. It's like they suddenly remembered she was a thing that one time. Uh, I was sure Data was going to go to a milk bar right after that scene. <laughs> his eyes his eyes all tape open um, uh, Picard talks to Jordy and Jordy thinks maybe Data's trying too hard they're, they're, they're trying too hard to be human I'm, I'm going here with, with, with what you're saying Eric they're try- it, part of it is not that they're underestimating him although that may be there as well but the lengths to which we will go to apologize for someone we love. Because mm-hmm. he's showing all of these, you know, extreme behaviors and everyone's like, oh, but he's been through a lot. Right. Be- before we confront the problem. Yeah. Uh, but then Troy says, for sure, there are two personalities inside Data. The dominant is brilliant but unstable. I was like, hello, did you write about me? Uh, <laughs> she can detect it through 30 years of you. <laughs> and that the alien persona is trying to get rid of the data we know. Oh, my God. So, so what is, is that? Yeah. With great. knowing the, the, the Tracy Torme uh, thing now, this this part makes a little bit more sense because ever since the scene where they're alone and data enters i don't really see the conflict it's pretty much all graves right there we don't really see the battle or any or any kind of control that 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 lesser data's uh, personality is trying to exhibit over graves um so i think this is almost just like a leftover from 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 that older script idea that somehow they're, they're battling yeah you're right because there was no battle he he won right this this is just now a way of diagnosing the two they have to say that there's another personality in there or we'll just think that data was erased. Yeah. I wonder what it would have been like if the story was more of this, like, you know, you saw the agency of data trying to get breakthrough or something like that. But then, I mean, all I can picture is all of me. Yeah, exactly. Like, and how funny would that be? I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) Dude. Pulling himself across a hallway. I, I want that. Back and forth. <laughs> so we reach the place where we're going to drop off Kareem, uh, but first Data visits her in uh, Ten Forward, whilst Worf is on spy duty, uh, and he says hello, Kareem, uh, in the most Doctor Lecter way possible. It's good to see you like, again. It's so hello. <laughs> Lovely to see you. <laughs> and again, uh, you know, he's like, you know who I am, and she's like, I, Data. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I want to be a scientist. Let her have a modicum of of self-awareness at this late in the game. (laughs) Wasn't she Uh, alone with this dude for like years? Like, I feel like she would like get all the, she's just in denial at this point. And how do you be alone with a person on a planet? I mean, that's, um, that'll mess you up right there. Yeah, well, uh, and and she's like, oh, you can't do that. And he's all like, this is my body now, bitch. And like, <laughs> they fight about it. Uh, and he's like, what? Uh, Why are you acting so messed up towards me? <laughs> Why are you acting so messed up towards me? <laughs> I'm going to get you a robot body. 
<laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. We we very temporarily go back and find out that uh, it's revealed that Data was alone with Graves the whole time. Uh, and the doctor says, and also Graves was a piece of shit. Uh, and now Picard's on it. Uh, it took him a while, but he's figured this out. We go back to Graves saying, I'll give you an android body. Why are you crying? Um, I don't know why he wasn't better at this. Um, <laughs> I love that she's also like, I won't let you do that to me. Like immediately is like, this whole idea is an assault. What? Yes. yes. I won't let you put me in a machine. She yes. says, I won't, I won't let you take my life away from me. Ooh. Yeah. Which sort of old man trying to take over younger woman. I, I, that metaphor is not lost on me. Mm -mm. Um, uh, However, I would like to have a robot body. All right. Noted. <laughs> Neoted. Um, he hurts her for a second. She, we have the very classic, um, you're hurting me. And then he, he lets go. Um, and runs away. Then we get Picard being low-key impressed by what Graves has done. Like, he's like, you know what? You had a plan. You followed through. You actually did it. I'm, I'm low-key impressed. Uh, drop some Shakespeare. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Sonnet 18. I had that memorized. I nice. didn't. I wrote it down. Uh, <laughs> it's been in that brain the entire time. This entire time. So off goes Picard to find Graves, and Graves is waiting for the captain up on that OSHA unimpro unapproved section of engineering that I don't like, <laughs> where the, 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 the floors are all see-through, and I'm like, that uh, you just need extra packaging there. That's where um, the dramatic action happens on the Enterprise, I think we can just It say. is! Like, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the uh, shotgun alley. Gunfight at the OK Corral has right. to happen yeah. by the warp court every And they time. should get a new, uh, something other than the Barbie lift. To get you from one floor to the next. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have this interesting, somewhat philosophical conversation where Graves' point is, I am a man, he is a machine, who should live and what should die? Uh, which is, uh, you know, very similar to the aliens who trapped the Enterprise um a few episodes back um, in that never-ending sort of cloud nebulous. Nagila. Uh, big Nagila, because they could, right? Um, I'm smarter, therefore... On Riker! Therefore, uh, this is this is fine. Uh, but Picard is hearing none of it. Uh, he comes up on that Barbie lift, you're so right, <laughs> finds Jordy knocked out, and Graves is like, it was an accident. And then he calls... Uh, the medical bay and finds out that um, Korean's hand was broken. These are all accidents, he says. I live here now. And it was also their fault. Like, he deflects. If yeah. they didn't come to mad me, they wouldn't have gotten hurt, And which is such an abuser, you know, mentality. Absolutely. Uh, he says Data is dead. Picard says set him free. That's, you know, a very big, uh, what do you call it, a war of wills, as it were, between these two uh, and then, and then somehow, it's a bit awkward. The the no, your hand, your face got in the way of the back of my hand. I don't know how he sees that as an accident, but he does sort of say, "How many more accidents?" I all I was doing was flexing my hand in a very particular way, and he ran into my fist ten times. Um, <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and Picard gets knocked out in a way that only an RSC actor could get knocked out. <laughs> it was fabulous and dramatic, Shakespearean, over the top. I loved every second of him falling into that wall. And then that wasn't enough. Then he has a nice movement of going, his arms going big after he hits the wall and goes backward. It was, it was like an extra who, that was the only chance they were ever going to get to be on set. <laughs> and they took every second of it and, and made it perfect. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, Pulaski comes and revives everyone because contractually she has to book into the episode, I guess. Um, and uh, they find Data lying on the floor and he wakes up and in the most Data way possible says, why am I lying on the floor? 
Can I ask you a question? <laughs> yes, can I ask? You already did. May I ask you another? <laughs> After this, this question. <laughs> <laughs> it was very clarifying. And that, and that weird semantic stuff, that's how you knew it was data. And I love that it's like, okay, you, you know, the guy who doesn't, you know, use contractions is back. Back and that's all Picard uh, had to see, too. No contractions. Good. You're normal. Let's good. go. <laughs> Kareen notices that Graves has put himself into the computer, all of that knowledge, but the human equation has been lost. Uh, so we get to keep um, that proprietary knowledge that he was working on, which is, I, I suppose, a, a plus at the end of the day. Only had to knock out like three characters to get. Yes, it, but, you know, it's fine. It's, it's fine. They Look, lived. They lived. Fine. They're they fine. lived. They were accidents. Uh, <laughs> and they again, brought we- it on themselves. <laughs> once again, Wesley is giving him shit about to love him is to know him is to love him. Uh, Data says maybe it's a good thing that I don't remember what happened. And then Riker out of nowhere. <laughs> Go for it, Jimmy. I don't remember what he says, but he has a nice little uh, rib there about. Some kind of uh, he says, does, res- does wrestling with a Klingon Targ ring a bell? Did I win? Did I win? Which uh, they're always looking for that little, and, and more often than not, I'm noting, they're looking for, it's it, they go to Picard or Data for these final little, right. what's the quippy little thing we'll say at the end of this? Uh, Which we noticed in season one, they were kind of, the Picard and Data got most oh. of the juicy stuff. And still they're leaning on them now, even though some other characters are getting bigger shots and be able to shine. It's still a lot of a card and data to bring it home. Yeah. So that's our episode. Uh, what do we think of this episode? It's one of those... Um, we were the, the A plot and the B plot are sort of the same plot. Uh, you know, we, we could have had another plot with this other ship that they go off to to save but they really keep everything pretty compact with uh, graves and his world um so what do, what do we think about this episode all in all my friends greg what do you think it's an interesting one uh i think it suffers from not having that like clear and now and that i know the story of, of how this was written from two ideas come together maybe i'm imprinting on here but I, it doesn't feel uh like it was conceived by a uh like a like a unifying theme uh, even though it is uh, uh, kind of one plot. Um, it's interesting here because it brings up a lot of things that I'm going to think about later in the, in the future. Like I'm just remembering Data's, you know, having the, the emotion ship and how that becomes like a big plot thing in the movies uh, uh, and things. And I think this episode is for the first time we actually see actual emotions. And, so, and I, I was struck realizing through no um, uh, additional circuitry or anything other than the memories that's imprinted on him through uh, Graves' work, he does exhibit all these emotions, and so much so that Troy can detect them. And I think that's an interesting thing that I don't think is really addressed, but they're like, oh yeah, he can actually have these emotions with his circuitry, nothing was really changed. And so that's an interesting kind of idea of where Data can go forward, and it's another step of, of, of his journey, uh, and we'll get to even more in, in this season with Measure of a Man to come. Um, uh, about what it means to be humanity. So it's just, it, it feels an echo of, of all that fun stuff. I hate the character of Graves. Uh, I is interesting to me that like when I watched this as a kid, I didn't hate him. I think that irascible, you know, old man that's a chauvinist is just was way more common back then. I didn't have the, you know, the history of knowing all these things, but I just, I just remember just being like, oh, he's a likable, but nasty old man. That's a trope I've seen all the time. And I didn't really kind of see the the gravitas or the the the, the evil really that this character kind of has in his actions. Uh, and so watching that now, I'm like, oh man, I really wish there was more condemnation of his behavior by any of the characters. I mean, Picard does say he's insubordinate a few times, but other than that, they're like, well, it's you know, it's, it's it harkens back to the the country singer from last season's finale, right? Where it's like, oh, he's just gonna be funny because he's you know patting girls' butts, and I, I just I don't find it funny at, at this point in my life. What are you gonna give it on a on a score of one to ten? Uh, five, five uh, doctors who are actually people. <laughs> Thank you. Very nicely said. Uh, and I'm, uh, we, we're all grateful that you don't find that funny. Uh, <laughs> Eric, 
tell me. Oh, I, I suppose I'll give it um, seven dominant personalities. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's the best part of Star Trek for me, and it's, it's watching uh, the excuses they found to employ the versatility of Brent Spiner. Um, he's the kind of actor that throughout his career, they gave him kind of over-the-top characters that come on, have four or five lines, and are memorable, but, you know, he doesn't get a lot of chance to explore the interior of any of his characters in his career except for Data. And it could have been the kind of role that limits him in its own way. But they went out and found a really versatile actor, and then they gave him a character that has excuses to play really versatile characters within the, the structure of the series. We see Data get to go do some... Uh, you know, big, broad, uh, you know, what do you call it, melodrama stuff with uh, Sherlock Holmes. And then he turns around here and does some John Osborne fucking interior guilt shit. And then he turns around later and, and does some more, uh, like, rip your heart out stuff, all of which is done with the knowledge that the situations are inherently hilarious and so he doesn't shy away from the funny that is in each one of these super serious situations that he's in. He's one of my heroes. I think he's incredible. Well said. Jimmy. Uh, I agree with Eric. I'm going to give it seven glittery death garbs. <laughs> um, even though like, it, it, it's playing off of something that, that Greg actually said about the he, he got this person's memories and then suddenly without any kind of physical change he's able to feel. Uh, from the moment that happened, I was like, ah, this is something that Eric and I have talked about for years. Um, I, don't, I don't think just because you have intellect, you have emotion because I think emotion is a chemical response. So I don't think, I think you can be intellectually jealous, but you can't feel jealousy or you can't feel that anger because those are that's a chemical response that's happening in your body sort of secular with the intellect and the chemicals and however smart you are doesn't mean now you have chemical feelings happening inside of you so that aside it's a sci-fi trope to have that and it's a very easy perhaps lazy way to have a mirror for humanity to see this is how you're behaving so i get it um and, and the one thing that Star Trek The Next Generation set up, and I don't think they ever appreciate it until Disco comes along, is this is a th third time I think we've seen a tremendous about, uh, amount of information dumped into the Enterprise databanks. Um, we've had it with the binaries, with this guy, and I think maybe one other time. Um, and they don't really, it, it doesn't necessarily inform what happens on the Enterprise. It does from a fan point of view where we justify certain things like oh maybe this came from the binary upgrade but it really does inform how the computer acts in star trek disco where upgrades happen memory you know memory dumps happen and the computer starts acting differently uh and and they just didn't have the wherewithal i think in tng days to to allow that or to go down an avenue but still i thought it was fun um, the episode is certainly fun. I would definitely recommend somebody to check this out. And for all the reasons that Eric brought up, it doesn't matter that I disagree with the, the philosophy of whether he could feel what Brent Spiner does with that dialogue is amazing. And it's worth every second of the screen time he gets to do it. Fantastic. I'm going to give it uh, six and a half Riker's beards. Um, so I guess that's five or six Riker beards and a Van Dyke. I don't know. Um, uh, and, and, and it's due to just Brent Spiner being brilliant. Um, I agree with Greg that uh, when I read about the sort of dueling concepts for this, it made sense because there is something that feels disjointed about this episode. Um, and part of my not giving it a higher... Uh, rating is in large part due to how well he plays Ira Graves. He plays him so well that I hate him. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, uh, there are parts of the episode that are just uncomfortable for me and, and, and ook me out. Um, but that's because everyone's doing their job. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think if it was a more, uh, if it had been from a singular source, 
uh, some of these uh, issues maybe would have gone away in my brain. But um, all in all, uh, it's a, it's Brent's episode to to win, and he does. Uh, and it's it's pretty friggin' fantastic, if you ask me, Eric. I there's just something he gets to do in this episode and a couple other times throughout that you don't get to do very often, and it's he has built up such goodwill with the audience that when he's in a position to turn it off, it is so effective. Mm. Because when he when he goes dead in a way that Data does not, but is still functioning, and you can see murder or you can see you know, these things that you don't expect from nice Uncle Data. And then he doesn't get punished for it in our brains because he goes back to being nice Uncle Data once they fix whatever happened. Like, he gets to dip into this very dangerous area really effectively and not lose any of the belovedness. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to propose a little game moving forward for both us and the listeners Go on. Even though this is the only episode we ever see Lieutenant Solaire, she doesn't go away. And her name is brought up multiple times throughout TNG, including in the movies. So we hear her name. She doesn't go away. She does not an expendable crew member. We just don't see her physicalized on the set ever again. But it'll be fun if we can keep that in our brains and uh, just make a little check anytime we see uh, here. Uh, Lieutenant Solaire come up uh, in future episodes. I'll put a little notch in my wall. <laughs> scratch, scratch. I don't know why. <laughs> just just because I like to burn things. <laughs> what? Uh, anyway, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you joining uh, join us next week for Unnatural Selection. Uh, and now, if you'll excuse me, um, I have some pants that need wetting. <laughs> Wet it up. Wet it. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. Eric Gratton is off social media right now, so email is the best way to ask him a question. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage. <laughs>